0: Hello to all of you unconventional conventionists out there. Welcome back to Rocky Talkie. We're a podcast about anything and everything related to Rocky Horror. I'm Aaron. And I'm Meg. And later on in the show, we're going to be joined by community legend Madman Mike for a fantastic interview.
1: That's right. We gave you Sal. We gave you Phil. Now we've got Madman. We're just working our way right through the entire 8th Street Playhouse cast.
0: Just like Chlamydia.
1: You're probably not wrong.
0: But before we get to Madman, it's news time.
1: But before we get to news, I just want to take a second and ask, how's everybody doing out there? Y'all keeping cool during this crazy heat wave? I hope. Sweetie, what did you get up to this week? Oh, not a
0: whole lot. I mean, we had a sold-out village east show this weekend that I completely blew off, so not a lot of rocky there. Uh, I just got back from the dentist today, so my sincere apologies. I can't feel my face. Hot, yeah.
1: Did, did the dentist give you a lot of
0: coke? Uh, no, no, it, it didn't do any of the fun stuff, it just numbed the shit out of me.
1: Oh, sorry,
0: but I got my pearly whites all ready for RKO con, so I'm very excited for that. Uh, what'd you get up to this week?
1: Um, what did I get up to this week? Talk to Madman a whole bunch. Um, oh, okay, so here's a fun thing about me so I, I do podcasts for a living, and recently I quit a job that i was working and i have taken on a freelance gig for this month and i have just been writing so fucking much this job just involves churning out true crime scripts one right after the other so i've been just in total research and writing mode for uh for work just churning out content i'm sure you can't understand any of that so you haven't been doing any of that at all have you
0: uh no i i definitely haven't been crazy 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 working on something that uh we might talk about a bit later in the show
1: well that's nice glad you shared that with everyone prematurely and with that let's kick it over to global news So, you all out there are going to have to bear with us today. I've been super, super busy this week, so I had Aaron actually get his hands dirty and collect our global and community news for the episode. So, let's see how this goes.
0: All right, guys, first up in global news, we've got a big dispute brewing over licensing rights for Rocky.
1: That's right. In a scathing verbal attack this week, it was claimed that the producers for Rocky were, quote, untalented and parasitical for not dishing out any portion of the rights to the talent. If not for the producers, it was said there would be, quote, at least another three Rockies. Wait,
0: Aaron? With six Rocky movies already released, two spin spin-offs, and a third already in post-production... Hold on. Sylvester Stallone has taken to social media to lambast the production of the franchise, citing...
1: God damn it, fine. This is the only fucking time we will ever do this joke, and you blew it on this. Good job.
0: But it's relevant. How? Well, Richard O'Brien has always said he got screwed on the rights for Rocky Horror, and now Sylvester Stallone is saying he got screwed on the rights for Rocky. Maybe it's just something about Rocky movies that leads producers to screw over their talent.
1: I apologize, guys. Moving on.
0: Okay, moving on. Next, we've got a live concert series that may be coming to your town later this year. The show currently gearing up for its U.S. and Canadian tour features a film screening and live band performing the songs live on stage.
1: Hold it. Yes. Is this about Rocky?
0: Um. Wow.
1: Rocky Horror. Let me clarify.
0: It's about Dirty Dancing.
1: What the fuck?
0: So yeah, Gia Live and Carl Saudau, in association with Lionsgate are doing a tour where they show a remastered version of Dirty Dancing and a live band and vocalists sing the songs on stage from the movie. There's a big after party and it's touted as a hyper participatory event. Does that sound familiar?
1: You guys, I'm so sorry. Oh, come
0: on. This one's at least adjacent. There's shows scheduled all up and down the East Coast, parts of the South and the Midwest, and even quite a few in Canada. I think this is super cool. Seeing a huge push for Dirty Dancing's 35th anniversary, and basically they decided to take a cue from Rocky. If, if you're interested, if you think that I'm onto something, all the information is available at DirtyDancingInConcert.com.
1: <laughs> all right, all right. I wasn't with you before, but judging from the pictures on the slide, it does look like they even have their performers shadow cast parts of the most iconic dance numbers.
0: See? All right, fine. So, I mean, we've touched on this one before on the show, right? But, like... Is this the future of cinema, right? At least with some of these, like, legacy properties that, you know, they can still draw a crowd. But up until now, whenever they're commemorating the anniversary of, like, your favorite movie, it's always just been, like, a sit-and-watch experience, a one-night, you know, stand kind of thing. Is this the kind of thing that we're going to be seeing more of as audiences get back into movie theaters?
1: I feel like there's been a lot of this recently right where they'll do movie nights of like some old movie that you watched when you were a kid but they'll do it with some sort of participation component I'm thinking of jaws in the water Right, where they did it in Texas where they had a big screen on a bay and they had everyone sit in like little floaties and stuff and watch the movie. I know that even like the Alamo draft houses around us are getting into that. I get targeted ads for this all the time. Like they're doing a Legally Blonde night. Oh, cool. Where they hand out little prop bags. People sit there and watch Legally Blonde and they have themed cocktails and you get like an Elle Woods pen with a big fluffy pink thing on it and, um, like, press on nails or something. And it's cute. It's, like, it's small, but it makes you feel like you're a little bit more involved in the movie than just sitting there watching it.
0: Oh, yeah, no, I love that, especially for stuff that's like these, you know, nostalgia cult classics, you know, stuff like ghostbusters or back to the future right i mean like i would love to go to participatory or interactive screenings of those films i mean i know back in the 2010s there was even a shadowcast here in new york that did ghostbusters uh they were called uh minions of gozer i think i don't think they're around anymore but that was super cool bring that back
1: i wonder if there's anyone we could talk to about that
0: Hmm. i guess you might have an opportunity to punch somebody else off your eighth street bucket list
1: We live in hope. (laughs) And I mean,
0: like, Back to the Future, right? Like, that's another nostalgia property that's been coming back big. I mean, there's the West End musical that's now transferring over to Broadway. So clearly, there is this, you know, kind of effort from these studios and from these property holders to try and take these nostalgia properties, these big budget movies that were big hits before, and kind of rethink them for audiences today it's something that i think we're going to see a lot more of and i think that you know Rocky Horror already being on the ground floor of that is the perfect kind of example to look to. I mean, you can see it with with this Dirty Dancing thing, right? Like, they're putting live vocalists on stage. Well, that's, that's very similar to the sing-alongs that Rocky has done, you know, in the UK. And they're doing a big, like, party afterwards where everybody gets to, you know, hang out. And that's already kind of the atmosphere that we're all doing, you know? So I, I think this is a, a good kind of example of, of what we should be seeing more of.
1: Let's not forget about like the Guerrilla Warfare grassroots ones of these. Hashtag gentle Minions.
0: <laughs> Fuck that.
1: Well, last up in global news, we've got a big Blu ray release, and I'm I'm just gonna scroll down here a second, guys. I don't wanna get your hopes up. Sweetie? Yes. What's The Return of Captain Invincible, and why do we give a shit about a Blu-ray release?
0: I'm so glad you asked. The Return of Captain Invincible is a 1983 musical superhero film starring Alan Arkin and Christopher Lee. It was a box office failure when it first released, but has become a relatively underground cult success in years since.
1: Yes, and why do we care?
0: Because Richard O'Brien and Richard Hartley actually... Actually wrote some of the songs that are in this movie.
1: Oh, oh, all right. Well, then, congratulations. One of your three global news topics is actually vaguely tangentially related to Rocky Horror. Good job, Pooh Bear.
0: I mean, the plot on this thing is <laughs> right <laughs> alongside all of the modern like anti-superhero films and series that you know you're seeing them all over the place. Think like The Boys, that kind of thing. So, I love the Captain Invincible is a big-name superhero during Prohibition and World War II, like into the mid-40s. However, he is forced into retirement by a McCarthy-style government witch hunt in the 50s.
1: He's accused of being a communist, citing his red cape and premature anti-fascism. Uh, and he's charged with violating U.S. airspace by flying without a proper license, impersonating a military officer, and wearing underwear in public. So he disappears from the limelight, moves to Australia, and uh, becomes an alcoholic. Must be nice.
0: 30 years later, his old nemesis returns, and the aging alcoholic superhero may be the world's only hope.
1: Sounds a little familiar, right? It's like the plot of that Will Smith movie.
0: Independence Day, exactly.
1: You know the one I'm talking about.
0: Ah, yes, uh, Wild Wild West.
1: Hancock, where he's an alcoholic, right? He's like a bum.
0: I don't watch pornography starring Will Smith.
1: Oh, my God. Well, more for the rest of us, I guess. (laughs) And uh, so Richard wrote the songs for this thing? So,
0: yeah, kind of. I mean, Richard O'Brien and Richard Hartley wrote three of the songs that are in the movie. They're much closer in style to their work from Shock Treatment than they are Rocky Horror. So if you like Shocky and you want to listen to some of Richard's work from around the same time period... Here you go. This is a movie for you. The rest of the songs in the film are from an assortment of other musicians. One of them is titled Bullshit and is literally just the word bullshit repeated for the entire song.
1: Oh my God, I know that song. Yeah. I sing it every single day.
0: Uh huh. So, British fantasy novelist and my all time favorite author, Terry Pratchett, spoke about this film once and he said, quote, uh, it is a series of bad moments pasted together with great songs and a budget of four pence. He also wow. admitted that he had seen it several times.
1: Well, it's got that going for it, I guess. So,
0: yeah, a new Blu-ray release drops this month. It's supposed to include a ton of extra features, including a director's cut that, wink-wink, includes
1: nudity. Ooh. Frontal? Unclear. Boy nudity? Boy nudity.
0: Probably not. It was made in 1983.
1: So maybe boobs?
0: Probably boobs.
1: All right. You sold me. It's a solid maybe on my watch list. The boobs have that effect.
0: Well, if you're interested in boobs, pre-orders are available on Amazon. (laughs) Though it's not that hard to find copies out in the wild already ahead of the street date.
1: And with that, let's move on over to some community news.
0: Okay.
1: Okay. I'm here for the boobs, but I just want to say this better not be a repeat of global news. This shit better have come from like the Rocky Horror community.
0: I honestly, sweetie, I don't I don't think that bit really even held up for the first half of this, let alone the whole show. No no no. These are these are all Rocky.
1: Rocky horror?
0: Yes, 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 yes. Rocky horror.
1: Thank Christ. Okay, first up. We'd like to wish a big, happy 21st birthday to the Las Vegas cast, Frankie's Favorite Obsession.
0: Yep, they celebrated on the 3rd of this month, but we missed it, so whatever. Congratulations, guys! You can finally drink.
1: Mazel! Yay! Founded in 2001 by Steve Van Meter and based out of the Tropicana Cinema in Las Vegas, FFO has been a community staple for the last 21 years. They've had celebrity guests, proposals, pre-shows, news coverage, convention wins, all kinds of accolades.
0: And for their 21st birthday, they even showed a personalized congratulations video from none other than Frankenfurter himself, Tim Curry. The video short is up on their social media. Definitely go check it out. It's like 30 seconds long. It's super fun.
1: Aw, congrats, FFO. Yay.
0: Congratulations. Next up in community news, an announcement from across the pond.
1: Yeah, the UK fan club has announced that due to some late dropouts, there are slots available for this year's 2022 Time Warp Picnic at Oakley Court in the UK.
0: Well, I mean, that's exciting. This thing usually sells out like a full year in advance.
1: Oh my god, I know that when we scheduled our wedding, we had to book the rooms out, like our wedding block, even not to do with the picnic. Basically a full year out to make sure that we would have the rooms. It was insane. Obviously, there was a second part to that because a lot of our people did attend the picnic. It was the next day. But even for just the block of rooms for the event alone, they were like, you got to get this in now. Otherwise, it's not happening.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, everybody who wants to be there is fucking obsessed with Rocky Horror and it is so much fun. There is fantastic food. There's awesome people to talk to shoot the shit check out their costumes the costumes are insane that people show up to at this thing it's just a great fucking time
1: the costumes are so cute i fucking loved seeing them because they're not there are like some traditional rocky horror costumes there but then you've also got people dressing up as like like aliens from from mars from outer space like you would see in a campy movie Mm -hmm. and then they have people dressing up with like chicken wing costumes or like oscar the grouch like just these random ass costumes and they're like ah, whatever it's rocky horror
0: and the kids since it's like just a fun holiday weekend excursion right like a lot of people bring their kids you get little columbias and little eddies it's it's adorable oakley court is such a fun place to visit there's tons of stuff to do they've got tennis courts and swimming and hiking trails just all the things you would expect from like you know a giant british manor uh and it is just really really fun if you ever have the chance i know it's expensive but like you really should check out the time warp picnic
1: make that your one like pilgrimage for rocky horror if you're a big part of the community it's fucking pricey man and that hotel is full of spiders but if you can definitely do it like take the fucking gargoyle picture and sit on the banister it's it's really really cute it's Totally worth it if you can swing it.
0: Yeah, plus you get to watch Rocky Horror in the extravagant Castle Hotel where the film was made. Like, what's not to love about that?
1: So if you're interested in taking an impromptu fucking trip across the pond this August, hop over to the Time Warp UK website and they've got all the deets for you right there. And
0: last up in community news this week, an absolute shit ton of RKOCon announcements dropped. Whew. All right. We've got an event schedule. We've got applications for room requests. We've got the entire cast list for every show, including Drag Race. And we've also got access to the RKOCon Discord server, where you can go out there and schmooze with everyone who's going to be at the con before you meet up IRL.
1: There is so much information that has been posted this week. So if you aren't already on the RKOCon Facebook group, get your ass over there and check it all out. Same with the Discord. I hopped in there a couple of days ago, and it's just, it's fun. It's popping. It's fucking popping in there. My phone blows up the whole day with it, and I get so annoyed because I get a little notification. But then I look, and it's an RKO thing, and I get excited about the fact that the con's in, like, two weeks. And then it's just nice to get to go see all the people you're going to hang out with. I'm so excited about fucking everything on this goddamn schedule, man. Can we just, like, go through it? day by day real quick do like a blurb
0: oh absolutely so as everyone that's listening knows archaeocon coming up just in a f- two weeks now two weeks uh, probably a week and a half when this episode drops ah! right time to get those costumes <laughs> finished uh and yeah there's a ton of events all wednesday through sunday so uh yeah let's run them down real quick wednesday kicks it off with buffy fucking love buffy excited for that and then the rocky horror punk show i don't know what this is
1: apparently it's rko performing rocky in 30 minutes but punk we make it punk
0: is this like their cabaret show the one they do at clubs and stuff
1: i don't know guess we're gonna have to find out i have no fucking idea but i can't wait to see it I'd imagine the costumes are going to be top notch. Love a punk costume.
0: Absolutely. And rounding up Wednesday night, we've got a dance party. Hell yeah. Always here for a dance party.
1: Going to get loaded at AS220. Woohoo.
0: All right. So that brings us to Thursday. What do we got Thursday?
1: Board games. All right. Community board game day, um, which apparently is just going on all day. You can wander in and play some fucking board games with hungover Rocky people. That sounds great.
0: Ooh, maybe maybe a Rocky Horror Trivia Game
1: contest. Oh, no.
0: I'm not bringing wow. my copy. If anybody wants to do that, you got to bring your own copy. It's not happening.
1: I'm sure there are plenty that live in RKO. <laughs> <laughs>
0: the 607's probably got seven copies just hanging out. Yeah, yeah, like, one in
1: each room. One in each room. Um... <laughs>
0: Uh, but after that we get into the panels right so
1: yeah the panels start we've got setting up a 501c3 here for useful panels setting up your cast as a non we got someone walking through how to do that determining if it's like right for your cast that sounds like a thing I should probably go be at probably we've got a fundraising panel about how to make money for your cast Imagine trying to make money off of Rocky Horror. I guess we'll get to find out how. Also sounds like something I should probably go to.
0: Oh, Fred's hosting this one. Uh, You know, Fred was on our show a little while back talking about uh, merch and how you out there can step up your cast merch game. Well, if you want to step it up even further and actually make money off of it, then this is the battle for you.
1: I'm really glad Fred is leading this one. Oh, absolutely. fucking boss at this shit. (laughs)
0: right after that it looks like we've got Hedwig hell yeah shadow cast of Hedwig and the angry inch I'm so pumped for that
1: we've got some people from our cast in this I'm really excited about I know uh, one of our new cast members Eric is gonna be playing Tommy gnosis oh
0: hell yeah he's gonna be fucking awesome that's gonna look so cool
1: he's gonna kill it I can't wait to see Mm -hmm. and then my favorite one Rocky's got talent at 9 p.m. talent show (laughs) love a talent show oh my gosh it's the best part of every con, as far as I'm concerned. Can't wait. And uh, after that, we've got something
0: called the RKO Horror Picture Show. I've heard about this, and i have actually really excited that they're doing this at the con, because I've been wanting to see it. This is Roy Rossi's personal tribute to Rocky Horror. It's an audio and video slide presentation with alternate versions of the songs from all of the plays and things. I, I, I'm really excited to see what Roy's put together for this.
1: I feel like I'm reading this description, and you just told me what it was, and I still don't feel like I have a great handle on what it is, but I also I can't wait to see.
0: Well, 10 p.m. at the ballroom. You know where you're at, and while you're at the room, stick around for 11 p.m. for The Room. <laughs> Sorry, that was... that
1: was. Shout out to Zephyr.
0: Yep, <laughs> I will drunkenly watch you say, mm, I did not hit her. It'll be super fun. And then uh, I guess we're doing room parties on Thursday night. That sounds great.
1: I bet we end up with like a patio party. I bet the Hilton remembers us and knows what's
0: up. Yeah, right. All right, that brings us to Friday. What's on Friday?
1: The Rocky Fit Club at 10 a.m. And I have so much respect for anyone who goes to that. I will probably be hungover in my bed. But do it. Get your fucking blood pumping. Warm up for all the shows that you're going to be in, because it's going to be a long-ass day. Go to that. Good for you.
0: Yep, and after you get your morning workout in, why don't you swing on over to the Hilton Ballroom at 12 p.m. for a panel from...
1: What's this? Ooh.
0: Ooh,
1: Rocky Talkie. A
0: Rocky Talkie panel? Well, what the fuck is this?
1: Do we know them?
0: Of course we know them. It's us! That's right, guys. We uh, have been invited to do a panel at RKOCon. We are super excited about it, and uh, it's what I've been working on for the better part of the last, I don't know, month, researching for it. So why don't you give our listeners a taste, sweetie? Why don't you read the uh, description that we've got here for what our panel is all about?
1: Sure. So you guys might not know this, our listeners, but Rocky Talkie is a weekly podcast where the two of us, John and Jacob, will discuss the latest news and current events in the Rocky Horror community. So you can join us for a fun-filled romp through the latest happenings in the community, and then we'll reveal the never-before-seen story behind the 1987 musical that rock, rock, rocks. Spicy.
0: Well, that is extremely cryptic.
1: It is. What does that mean?
0: Uh, It means you're going to have to show up at the Hilton Ballroom at 12 p.m. This is the untold story behind a never-before-known Richard O'Brien film musical. That you are going to want to show up for. We have been doing so much research on this. It is fucking mind-boggling that the community has never found out about this thing. You're all going to want to show up and take a listen.
1: All of our listeners know that Aaron is occasionally want to get excited about some really, really deep, rocky, hard shit that a lot of people may or may not find as is, is interesting as he does. But this is... Bananas! Like, I'm so excited that we get to fucking talk about this. You guys are really, really going to love it.
0: And then stick around right after we're done because we've got everybody's favorite con panel, the costuming panel. Yes. I'm here for that. I'm so excited for it. The costuming panel is always one of my favorites. The tips, the tricks, the history, just all the little details. The flippant comments that's like, oh, yes, we found out that there were six of them on there. And you go, What? I got to redo my dress like
1: flashback to like you and Harley in our room at Providence Pride (laughs) just with your faces pressed up against the HD fucking shocky being like oh my god her shirt has
0: pinstripes (laughs) indeed that was super fun shout out to Harley
1: and then after the costuming panel we're going to get into some shows so at 2 p.m we've got Repo Hell yeah. We're going to be shadow casting Repo, where you can see me playing Amber. I'm going to be the snottiest, brattiest little bitch you ever saw. I can't wait.
0: And if you need a palate cleanser after Meg being a total cunt, stick around for the cast video pre-shows. These are always super fun, and after all of the editing work and all of the video production we've seen out of the community over the, uh, you know, last couple years, I think this is just going to be stepped up to a whole other level.
1: Hell yeah. We have all become like professional video editors in lockdown. (laughs) So these are going to be like fucking highly produced Martin Scorsese (laughs) pre-shows.
0: And then after that, we're in to the big ones. We got shock treatment. 7 p.m. at the ballroom. Oh, my God. I love shock treatment. I'm so excited to see it. I love the all-star casts of it. This is going to be, like, one of my top must-sees of, of the convention.
1: And you and Harley will be able to determine whether everyone's costume has the right amount of pinstripes.
0: <laughs> yes, yes, we will be judging you. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll be judging you.
1: And if you want to go from being judged to um, being judged when you lose all your money and have to walk around with no shirt on for the rest of the night, we've got the FBC Poker Tournament.
0: I'm pretty sure it's not strip poker.
1: Uh, I meant because you would lose all your money and, like, lose your shirt in a poker game. But I feel like any poker is strip poker if you try. Well,
0: you'd have to find out at the Roger Williams room (laughs) at 9 p.m. Uh, Apparently, there's going to be some valuable prizes, and you're going to be competing for the title of Champion Poker Slut. So if poker is your game, this is where you want to be.
1: See? Champion Poker Slut. You can walk around without your shirt on all night, either because you lose your shirt because you lose or because you win and you're the slut.
0: Or because you're at RKOCon, yeah, and you might just walk around with your shirt off anyway.
1: <laughs> and speaking of walking around without your shirt on, after the poker tournament at 10 p.m., we've got the drag race dance party. So that's gonna kick off kind of our late night festivities for the evening.
0: Hell yeah! Another party, some more dancing. Gonna see some awesome drag performers that are. It's gonna be running until like midnight. So yeah, I'm here for that. And then the party's gonna keep on going afterwards.
1: Yep. And we'll just get loaded the whole night. I'm here for
0: it. All right. So we pass out Friday night after a crazy night of partying. We get up Saturday morning. Crack of dawn. What's the first thing we're doing?
1: Rocky Fit Club Part 2.
0: All right. Best of luck to all you out there that are doing Rocky Fit Club. I will be finding Tylenol.
1: Well, you better fix your hangover quick because at 11 a.m. bright and early, we are going to the chocolate-covered Rocky panel. Chocolate-Covered Rocky is such an iconic cast. I've never seen any of their shows or met any of them, and I'm so excited that they're doing a whole panel talking about all the wonderful things they've got going on in Baltimore. I know that their show is is very non-traditional, and I'm very excited to hear from them just what, what they do with it, about the creative choices that they've made. It always looks like such a good time when you see the pictures on social media. It looks like such a huge party.
0: I'm excited for this, and I, I can't wait. This this is one of the, the things that I definitely, definitely want to check out at RKOCon. Absolutely. Speaking of non-traditional, right after that, we cut into some of the non-traditional shows that we're doing this year. Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog at noon. Oh, my God, yes. I love Neil Patrick Harris. I think this is one of the funniest fucking things the community has ever latched onto. It shadow casts so well. I love it. I'm there.
1: I've been in the room with Dr. Horrible happening, like I would need more than two hands to count the number of times, but my, my focus is always drawn away to like a conversation or to something, and there's always a the little thought in the back of my head where I'm like, all right, I've zoned out of this movie, this isn't the time that I'm going to pay attention and really learn about what's happening, maybe next time will be the time, and I really hope that this time is the time I'll get to watch it shadow I would love to finally know what Dr. Horrible is all about instead of just having, like, the fun music playing as I engage in conversation.
0: (laughs) Well, you might actually not catch the whole thing because I just noticed right afterwards is Reefer Madness. Fuck. And I mean. <laughs> we're both performing <laughs> in Reefer Madness, so get fucked right, us, I guess. This might not be the time. <laughs> uh, no, I'm so excited for this. I mean, I'll, I'll I'll skip part of Dr. Horrible in order to get ready, because, uh, yeah, I'm doing jack uh, for almost the entire film, because I suffer from a chronic condition called I don't want to dance. But yeah, for the rest of the show, you're going to see me slapping May around and turning all of your kids into hooligans and whores, so... Look out for me on that one. I think I even get to slap you.
1: You get to slap me. I get to slap you right back. And then you just deck me into a glass coffee table. We've been practicing at home.
0: Did we get that scene together? I'm I'm excited. Hell yeah. So yeah, Reefer Madness. And then right after that, you know what to do. Go get ready. Go drink. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, get your ass onto the bus because we're all going over to the stadium theater for the night of festivities like this is the night of rko con it's the big big shows what are we doing over at the stadium
1: all right so 7 p.m we're off the bus we're ready to go first thing we get to watch everyone do their live choreographed pre-shows on stage it's gonna be a fucking hell of a time i love watching these
0: i'm so excited for this jccp try not to break the stage rko good luck fitting 120 people on there Let's do it. Yeah. (laughs) After that, we've got awards and MC time. Uh, That sounds great.
1: Spicy awards. Hell yeah.
0: And then at 8 p.m., they let all the riffraff into the audience, and it is Rocky time.
1: Hooray.
0: (laughs) It's the big Rocky Horror RKO Con 4 Spectacular. See all of your friends. Maybe you yourself are performing in it. We're doing Betty and Ralph for a wedding scene, our favorite thing to do because you get to still be part of the show and then watch the whole damn thing.
1: I can't wait to get to wear the biggest, ugliest wedding dress in the whole world and pretend like it's my special day all over again.
0: <laughs> and then right after all the festivities wrap up there, head back to the hotel for the karaoke after party.
1: Yes.
0: Going from 11 p.m. all through the evening, you know that's where you'll find every single person
1: it's a karaoke after party karaoke is my fucking favorite social activity love watching people nut up and sing i think it's fun uh and i think it's even more fun when you don't give a shit and you just want to be a derp so we all crash
0: saturday night and we wake up sunday morning just in time for farewell food and games over at dave and buster's in the providence mall which sure i will go play guitar hero for three hours
1: I can't wait (laughs) to go be hung over at a Dave and Buster's again. It's been three years since I was hung over at a Dave and Buster's. Uh,
0: Wasn't Dave and Buster's the first night of the con last time? Yeah. Okay. Okay. That tracks. That tracks. Yeah. So there you go, guys. That is your entire RKO con four lineup. Obviously, anything subject to change between now and then, but uh, this is the list we got now. This was posted over on RKOCon.com schedule. You can go check it out for yourself. Read all of the great descriptions that are up there. Check out what times everything's at, where everything is at. And yeah, we're so excited. We cannot wait to see everybody at con.
1: Absolutely. I'm beside myself. I've checked these fucking discords and Facebook groups multiple times a day just to hype myself up about the fact that this is like imminent finally after so much waiting and being locked away and not seeing all of you people i miss you and i can't wait to party with you very soon we're like so close and with that let's take it from stuff happening
0: right now to stuff that happened 25 years ago
1: We've got a special treat for everyone this week. We sat down with community legend Madman Mike and shot the shit about anything and everything Rocky Horror. Let's go check it out.
0: All right, guys, we've got a. Awesome conversation queued up for everyone this week. Uh, We fortunately were able to get a hold of Madman Mike, the original member of the A Street Playhouse, the New York City cast director, shock treatment fan club president, collector extraordinaire. I'm just so excited to have the chance to share with you all Madman's deep inner thoughts. Hey, Madman, how's it going?
2: I'm doing pretty good, Aaron. How are you doing tonight?
0: Oh, doing fantastic, man. So, I mean... It's been forever since we've got to sit down, shoot the shit. Uh, we, we had a chance a little bit ago, but I just wanted to, you know, start it off with some easy ones. How are you doing? What have you been up to lately?
2: Well, I've been flying around the world, as you well know. I've been living bicontinentally. Um, I live in Scotland in the UK, and I'm also living at, in Missouri at the moment.
0: Oh, very cool. What part of Scotland are you in?
2: I'm in Glasgow,
0: Oh, right on, right on. I know that there was a, a pretty big Rocky community up there for a while.
2: Well, the, the, the cast, Dr. Scott's Extra Forks, were around forever, and now there's another cast that have taken over from there. And uh, they don't do it quite as often as we do in the States, but they put on a really
0: rocking show. That's fucking great. I love that. I, I've never been able to see uh, a, a shadow cast out in the UK. Is it really different from in the U.S.?
2: It is. Um, It's taken with a grain of salt where we're trying to be everything and we have 400 people that we have to please per night and we have to have, you know, really great costumes and emulate everything. Most of the shows out here don't have a normal theater, which you guys are experiencing right now mm-hmm. um, because of COVID and everything. But um, as my friend Marty used to say, everything had to be able to fold up into a suitcase at the end of the night, including the actors.
0: Oh, uh, that's a real one. And and we just learned, you know, just the other day that Marty passed. Uh, I was really sorry to hear that. I know you guys were really close.
2: Yeah, we ran a bunch of uh, UK conventions, the Dented Affair conventions together, um, as well as some other things that we did outside of Rocky Har. We were very close. In fact, we lived in in the building next to each other.
0: Oh, wow. That's such a shame. He 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 will always be remembered in the community. Such a such a great guy. I fortunately did get to meet him once when he was in New York a while back. But right,
2: well, he ran Doctor Scott's Extra Forks along with other people, but he was uh, one of the main figureheads there for well over twenty years in Glasgow. And I first met him at the twentieth anniversary in ninety five. So we we've known each other
0: for a very very long time right on um, well speaking of very long times uh oh do you want <laughs> no it's sim- simple questions first do you want to throw our listeners just a brief history of yourself I know that you started with a street back in the 80s right
2: in the early 80s I, I I can't remember the exact date that I started performing but I started going to the show on my birthday 83 which was a Saturday it was February 5th and um I saw this amazing amazing show which of course we all know now but you know it was uh not as well publicized back in 1983 um it was on my birthday and when i got into the theater of course, the, you know, the pre-shows and the Time Warp and Sweet Tea Roxy and all that kind of stuff was done. But then when the movie came on, I saw a filmed image. I saw, you know, people emulating what was going on. And I had the audience around me doing callbacks. And I was like, my God, this is true theater. You know, it was not just your your average movie you were walking into. You had, you know, so many people participating, which, of course you know, is the, uh, the main staple of Rocky is participation, but you got it on so many different levels that you didn't know where the next thing was going to come from.
0: It probably had that like raw quality to it too, right? Back then where everyone's still figuring out, you know, what the flow was for this thing.
2: Well, actually the, the people who were on stage back then were actually pretty well rehearsed because back then, you know, you would learn a little bit of the movie one week, Go home and practice that a little bit. Then you'd learn another little bit of the movie and go home. Because we did not have the videotape. The videotape didn't come out in the States until 1990. There was a VHS in 84 out here in the UK.
0: Oh, right. Okay. So it was, but, it was a But bit who of... had
2: PAL converters back then, you know? It was not, this was not the, you know, this wasn't click and watch back then. This was, and then of course, you know, in late 83, audience participation album came out and that at least gave us the entire soundtrack to the film to practice to.
0: Mm, sure, sure, and I know that we had talked uh, on the show a while back about uh, the bootlegs that were available. But any of the very early ones were like Japanese. Don't imports. mention any
2: of that. We can't use that word. They're called <laughs> conversions nowadays. You know, uh, right? They're, right? They're, they're archives, rare archives.
0: Right, right. The 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 backup copy for the original. Exactly.
2: You know, the stuff that you that you find. Uh, you, you get these. The, we we just keep it down on that stuff. We don't want everybody knowing.
0: <laughs> All right, we might get back to those uh in a little bit uh, those, those But there
2: is one I do want to mention just for a very quick second because sure. there actually was another uh copy which as you said was a bootleg that came out of oh I forget was it Japanese or was it uh there was a, there was a laser disc that was out for a little while but it was only down to like 400 copies. That's my memory. I can't remember where it came out of, but it was NTSC. So the only way you could see it at home was to get this really rare, you know, copy of it. And it wasn't even an official copy. It came from another country.
0: Right, right. I mean, it's just crazy. That kind of touches on, like, just how much stuff was out there all of these collectibles and these rarities and just like you were deep in that community for a very long time for hunting down all of these things that just we didn't even know we're out there for so long.
2: Well, that's what I was trying to do, was bring a lot of it to the States because of uh, a lot of the stuff was coming out in the UK, because Richard had his show, The Crystal Maze, so I tried to get episodes of that over. Pat Quinn, Tim Curry, they were all doing television stuff out here in between the bigger films that we now know but you you couldn't get any of that stuff in the states and i was trying to track it down you see the best thing was that the connection between the fans because as much as i wanted it somebody out here wanted it so that they could watch it over and over but we didn't have imdb back then we didn't have you know we're looking up things in books and we're seeing names as we now know anybody who's ever googled richard o'brien he wrote a great book on trains, but it's not the same Richard (laughs) O'Brien. We we all know that one. okay? But that's the point. You look up something in the book and you say, this book has been written by Richard O'Brien. Richard O'Brien was in this TV show. Now, if you go on IMDb, there's Richard O'Brien one, two, three, four. But you had no idea back then. So you had to get a copy to make sure it was the right person or talk to someone in the country that it aired. To find out, wait, was he actually on this? Like that one episode of The Detectives, which was a British comedy. And it took me forever to find it. When it finally came out on DVD, I got a copy. And he's only in one episode, I think, in the third season. I'd have to look it up.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, I know that that train book comes up all the time. The guy has recently written a, uh, a a book on collectible toys now, too. So I see that one all the time, like old school, like Tin Toys.
2: The guy's really got to change his name. You know, maybe <laughs> two R's at the beginning. I, I don't know.
0: It's
2: uh, There's got to be a delineation for who we're looking for online to get proper information.
0: Anything that doesn't contaminate my uh, eBay searches, I'm I'm fine. Just, <laughs> exactly. just change it up, bro.
2: <laughs> right, because there's like 27 mystery novels novels by richard o'brien too or something like (laughs) that like who is this person
1: (laughs) um so madman back in the early days of you you know getting involved in this collectible scene was there like something that was the hot ticket item that everyone was after like more so than anything else
2: information the stuff that we were trying to figure out like i just said was who was in what because there was no IMDb and there was no official list. And back then, of course, all the actors were much younger. And that list was growing every month. Somebody could do something. So I would say information was that hot commodity back then. When it came to what did people want out of my collection? Everything. <laughs> I mean, I used to... No, we used to have a lot of guest performers come up from Maryland and other places. And they would be over at my house watching all my tapes you know because they wanted to see it so i can't really say it depends on who who your favorite actor was from rocky horror or shock treatment they would pick the the what stuff they wanted to see based on who was in it
1: so would you do like um like pat quinn nights and tim curry nights where everyone would kind of get together and like watch the entire catalog as it existed was that like a no. no not a thing no
2: i I lived in I I, I had a studio flat in the Westville <laughs>
1: yeah. um
2: so getting everybody in there was uh not the easiest thing in the world
0: barely had enough room for me and my bong I remember that yeah well there you go <laughs> Oh, uh, that was fun. I. I remember so many nights of sitting there with you and just oh, you got to check this one out, or oh, let's look at this. Or I'd ask a question, and you'd be like, oh yes, I have that. <laughs> it was some of my favorite stuff to just hang out and shoot the shit about Rocky, you know?
2: Oh yeah, well, I mean that's I've always tried to make it available to people so that they can go through the catalog, and I'm still finding things to this very day via YouTube or other collectors. Or I mean, I have a collection. Of the UK plays on on video now that I never thought I would have half of the ones that I have. And I probably have about audio tape wise, I probably have over 100 of the plays just audio recordings from the audience in all in different languages. So they need to be transferred one day.
0: Yeah, I mean, mean, that stuff's amazing. It's it's the kind of stuff that I know I go back to when I'm researching for the show, uh, you know, for the limited stuff that's available out there on YouTube or wherever else. Fortunately, some of the other collectors in the community have shared some of them with me, but nothing on the scale of, you know, hundreds of recordings and things. So that's absolutely amazing.
2: Well, that took a very long time to collect. That wasn't in one go.
0: (laughs) Oh, for sure. So uh, kind of piggybacking off of that, like, I know that you were talking about from the collecting angle, the biggest changes are like information's just available now, right? Like it's so much easier to go on Wikipedia, see the whole list of things that Charles Gray ever did. It's easy to go on YouTube and find some of that stuff. What are some of the biggest differences just in the community over the years? Like, f- you, you talked a lot about screen accuracy, you know, in the early days from the 90s into the 2000s, 2010s into today. What were some of the trends you noticed? I mean, you were in charge of the New York cast for over a decade.
2: Well, even before then, I mean, there were, there were definitely some bookmarks throughout the history of Rocky where there were changes in the cast. The first one, of course, Sal must have told you about. Um, when you had your lovely interview with him and he told you about the very beginnings. Then we come up to 1985 and the 10th anniversary and that was a gigantic blowout at the Beacon Theater in New York City. After that happened, we started to lose a lot of our cast members. I don't mean in a bad way, but a lot of our people started to retire because it's not going to get any better than this. You know, We just performed with Richard Patton. Now we had Jonathan Adams, you know, Sal was on stage. Barry was there. Meatloaf was there. We just played to 5,000 people. <laughs> you know, where do you go from there? Little did they know, not everybody, but a lot of the people who are in the audience participation album uh, photo Uh, started retiring and some had already retired. We started to lose some people and we started to get a new group in from the Marlborough theater, which I used to perform at as well in Brooklyn. It doesn't exist anymore, but Phil, you know, the boy genius and a bunch of other people came from there because that was kind of the training ground. You know, we started to overflow with people who were already practiced and already had costumes. And then they started to make their way over to A street.
0: A little birdie told me that's where you first started performing and we're doing Brad. Is that right? Everybody knows you for. for No, I was doing
2: Dr. I was doing Dr. Scott. Dr. Scott. Okay. I may have done Brad. Phil was our Brad. Um, but I took over riff from, uh, from, from one person and then Liz Adele was my other riff. Uh, she was a great riff. But she never came over to the A Street Playhouse. When I started at the A Street Playhouse, I started as Dr. Scott. I moved to Brad for two years, and then I was Riff for the rest of the time until like 2011. So I had a pretty long run, uh, you know. I had no idea what I was doing, but uh, the audience seemed to like it.
0: <laughs> no, for sure. So after this kind of, you know, um, changing of the guard in the, in the, in, in the late 80s into the 90s so what happened next what else were you kind of seeing
2: the second bookmark was in 1990 at the 15th anniversary because that's when the videotape came out so it became a lot more accessible to a greater audience because they could go rent it at their video store they didn't have to wait until midnight to see it They didn't have to be a certain age to go see it. Obviously, with me being 13 when I started, they didn't really hold up that whole you have to be a certain age to see it back then, but uh, we'll pretend they did to not get anybody in trouble. But that opened it up to a lot more people. People were coming in already knowing the movie and not having to sit there week after week memorizing little bits here and there. So we, we started to get droves of people who were very familiar with the film because they would watch it at home over and over and over again. And then I forget what year the third bookmark was, but it was Glee. One of the worst things that ever happened to Rocky
0: Horror.
2: (laughs) Well, no, no, it was because people were coming in not because they cared about the movie and they cared about everything about the actors and everything they thought it was a way to get on stage because these were theater kids now coming in. These weren't the people looking for a home for a, a group of people like them. These were a completely different type of group. I'm not saying that it ruined Rocky Horror. What I'm saying is that it was just a different group. Group and it completely changed the dynamic because before we had people who put their blood, sweat, and tears into their characters. Now we had people who wanted to get on stage and act, and it became a completely different dynamic. And then just to follow through, I think that it's changed again in recent years because of the LGBT community has completely opened up and we've gotten much much more varied people on stage who are putting on performances that we couldn't do in the old days and i think that there's been a you know i'm talking new york centric from what i from what i see because i don't know what was happening in the rest of the country at the time but you know over the years the more freedom people had to be whom they were the more freedom they had on stage the better the performance has got.
0: Oh, definitely. I mean, we we see it now especially with some of our shows where we're going completely off book, right? Where we're not doing screen accurate blocking or costumes or anything and you know, it's it, it's it's got that not rocky feel to it, but the performances are like genuinely their own performances in their own way that make me pause and go, "Huh. I never really thought of Columbia being played like that." But uh I like it.
2: Well, that's that's the whole thing is that we've gotten throughout the the years, the more freedom people had to be themselves in society, the more that they could do on stage because they didn't have to hold back. You know, and we lived through and I'm talking about as a cast, not me personally, but we lived through the AIDS epidemic and we lost a lot of great people because of that um including very close friends back then we lived through the gay marriage and gay rights which of course as you know because you marched with us we were always in the in the pride parade marching for rights and stuff we've gone through the lgbtq Plus rights and people coming out and everybody getting hopefully, hopefully recognition for whom they are, because that's one of the most important things, because that's the whole message of Rocky is don't dream it, be it, just be yourself
0: absolutely no i i I love that and it's 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 a great history we've touched on those milestones kind of in the past with glee now the fox remake right being the most recent example of kind of bringing well that started
2: its own kerfuffle didn't it (laughs) you know that was the, the the new one is the good one the old one is the bad one well what are you talking about there would be no new one if there wasn't the old one how can you even you know that's like saying the original play is better than the movie i mean you can make any argument you want but no one's going to be right on the subject.
0: It's what it means to you. It was it was so funny because just after our last live show, a group from of performers came over and we were just hanging out at our apartment afterwards. And one of them said, you know, I never actually saw the Fox remake. And, of course, Aaron goes to the shelf, pulls off the DVD and goes, really? Here you go. Uh, and we sat and watched it. And... surprisingly it was mostly positive toucha uh, there's no excuse for toucha uh in the remake (laughs) but but everybody loved you know uh i I think my favorite thing and i had forgotten it was uh, the way they did uh planet shmanet in it it's so dark laverne's just dragging victoria drustis by her hair across the ground like it's really a different take on uh, planet shman it's
1: really aggressive but like Fun, kind of.
0: (laughs) So they did some things. They did some things in that one that are interesting. Uh, I certainly wouldn't call it better, though. I mean, how do you, how do you, you, I can't. How do you improve on the original Rocky? Well, Rocky
2: Horror was lightning in a bottle. I mean, you're watching, for the most part, you're watching the original performances of the London cast.
0: Absolutely. Just glammed up and, you know, made pretty for, for film.
2: Exactly. And you know, uh yeah, I mean there were a lot of changes and script changes and whatnot, and directorial changes. But I mean you're actually seeing the people who originated the roles. Of course Barry and Susan were brought in and so was Charles Gray, and uh Jonathan Adams of course is playing a different part. Peter Henwood of course wasn't in the original either, but you're you're seeing the you core, know, the least, core at least six well, I mean, Meatloaf was in the original uh, RoxyCast. So, you know, he, he was one of the originators, Patty O'Hagan in the UK and, and Meatloaf in the US. So you're getting, you're getting some of the most genuine performances there are in the original. And that's what I like about it, because these are the people who, who crafted those roles from script to character.
1: Here's a question, and uh, I don't mean to put you on the spot. If of all of the version twos that exist, right, all the other iterations of Rocky, is there one that you like more than the others?
2: Are we talking about sequels to Rocky or including shock treatment or? Uh,
1: no, no, no. Any of the medias that have rebooted it, Glee or Perks of Being a Wallflower or the Fox remake, any of this. Shock treatment, I think, is its own animal. But has there been well, like shock
2: treatment? Yeah, shock treatment is not is definitely not a remake. Um, no, I'd have to stick with the original movie because you see that's one thing that people didn't understand way back when. I'm talking about when I first started. A lot of people when it was said, "Oh, it's a you know a takeoff on the old horror and sci fi films of the '50s and '60s," everybody, of course, automatically saw Bela Lugosi and stuff like that. But of course, we're talking British. So it was actually the Hammer Horror films with Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing that they were alluding to because Oakley Court itself was known as the Hammer Horror House and Bray Studios was only a few steps away. So that's what they were actually going for, which most people know now because of the Internet and whatnot. But there was a lot of people saying well this it wasn't a very good movie it didn't emulate what it was supposed to and of course you know the the few of us who who had any wherewithal into those movies back then were like oh, no it's exactly and then we heard they were thinking about uh not cra- that does crawl crap anyway
0: <laughs> right they're th- they're thinking Hollywood MGM Frankenstein and whatever and it's no no right, they're
2: thinking Karloff and Legosi and Lon Chaney Jr. and meanwhile it's you know, it's a whole different set and a whole different setup and a different type of movie.
0: Right, right. It's it's one of the things that the time that I hear stuff related to Hammer brought up most often within the Rocky community is about the poor color correction on the DVD, right? Where they took away all of the Hammer blues, you know, that some of the scenes are supposed to well, have. Well, with the bedroom
2: scenes, they kind of almost made it nude. You know, there is no, there is no color overlay on them. That's a shame because I think that was a slip up on their part. But that brings up something very interesting changes in the movie because the original mono sound was a completely different soundtrack pre uh, 1990. It also had different variations in some of the songs. The, The saxophone that Meatloaf plays is a completely different kind of saxophone. Really, I didn't know that. It's an alto sax versus a, you know, my my memory's going. Yeah,
0: he that. he's wearing a tenor, but they they have him do an alto in the mono.
2: No, then it was a tenor in the mono, is an alto on the ah, on the record. Interesting. Because the a lot of the performances were made into stereo from mono films, so the record was stereo, and then they had to bounce around the audio to make that stereo. And then the actual mono on the DVD is just a fold down of the stereo coming
0: out of both speakers. And they never actually went back to the mono on any of the releases. This is actually fascinating. I don't personally know a ton about the audio history. I, only what I've kind of done for some of our edits and things. Maybe you know about this. I've been meaning to ask someone who might know this. There's a part in Don't Dream It, Be It, the very beginning of it. Where in the stereo soundtrack, if you crank it all the way up, you can hear in the backing track, a ghost version of Tim Curry singing the song fractions of a second before the clearly Tim Curry audio comes in on top of it, which is so weird to me that that's that that ended up in the final, you know, cut of it. Are you talking about the soundtrack to the movie? Uh, well, yeah, the one that's actually in the film, in the stereo uh, that's on the Blu-ray today. Okay, well,
2: I've never noticed it myself, but that's probably because they, I mean, they've made the 7.1, before that the 5.1, before that the stereo. I think there's actually two versions of the stereo out there, and then before that the mono. So I would not be surprised if there is an underlying track somewhere.
0: Yeah, it's even present in the um, the Say It album, the uh, the the karaoke album that came out in the mid '90s, the one that uh, Lisa. Kurtz right. Sub. Well, Lou
2: Adler put that out, and uh, that probably was lifted minus the vocal tracks, straight from the you know when they were remixing things. I mean, there's other people who are much better about vinyl and much better about audio recordings than I am. That you can ask about
0: this. Oh no, I, but I'm just curious. Uh, I haven't haven't even started on my trek down the audio and into the vinyl. There's so much variation and stuff out there. Like, that's I don't even know where to start collecting that stuff. You know.
2: You 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 and me both. That's why I stuck with video. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So you mentioned Lightning in a Bottle last time, so I definitely want to talk about Shock Treatment, right? Because, I mean, you, you're you the Shock Treatment fan club president. You were deep in Shock Treatment when it came out.
2: Well, not when it came out. That was 1981. But there was a couple of casts that were trying to emulate it back then. At the Waverly, there was a cast. Um, and it only lasted for a few weeks, from what I understood. And that was very close to the opening, because they wanted to try to... Emulated it just like Rocky Horror and start building up its own cult. But, you know, when you try to force something, it never works. But I came into Shock Treatment later on, and uh, I had seen it on VHS. I didn't understand it on my first watch through, because it was throwing a lot of things at me. And about a few hours later, I took a second viewing of it, and the music was so good that I just started watching it as music videos with a bit of storyline between them.
0: That's fair. Anybody who sees it for the first time and goes, oh, I get it. You got to go, really? Did you watch it all? I think you didn't because <laughs> it's well, so a, it, much.
2: It actually is a multi-layered story. I mean, of course, everything was changed the last moment and they shot it in the studio instead of around
0: a town. And, you know, there were a lot of differences from script to screen. So what was it that really drew you to shock treatment, you know, to like, I, you know what? I want to form a fan club around this. I want to make sure that, like, you know, Shock Treatment gets its due in the community. Like, what was it that really incentivized you there?
2: Well, what I really liked about Shock Treatment is the music, first of all, and second of all, the secondary story. Because in a way, and you have to be a little bit careful about, you know, speaking on this subject, is that it was about the Rocky Horror community. It was about going from the audience, getting onto the set, and becoming one of the characters in this gigantic multi-television production owned by Farley Flavors. And the whole thing was to make your costume, you know, little black dress, and to get up there and look what it did. I've changed my id. I've changed my personality. I've become the character. And it was all about us. That's the way I viewed it anyway. Now, when I say you got to be careful, because a lot of it is not very nice. You can look at Farley like probably one of the managers, you know, of the theaters and who's against what's happening and only wants, you know, the money, what he can get for himself, which is a very Farley thing to do, you know. So there was a lot of different parts to it, and I wanted to get it hyped up enough to where it took on a life of its own. And Bill Brennan and I, who sadly passed away now, uh, started the fan club, I think it was in 1996. And we just brought it to a lot of different conventions and we tried to get people to get going with it. And now it's become an absolute staple.
0: Oh yeah, I mean, I can't remember, I, actually I, I do. There, there has not been a convention since I've been in the community where shock treatment wasn't performed. Right. right. The first
2: couple conventions that I ever went to, there was no such thing as shock treatment.
0: Oh, I mean, it, it's so much fun. Everybody loves doing it. And now, I mean, there's been a big resurgence in the last you know year or so since the pandemic wrapped up that like we're seeing a lot more casts doing it, you know, twice a year, three times a year. Up in Buffalo, they're doing it. Out in JCCP, they're doing it. They're doing it up at RKO. Like it, it's coming back.
2: Well, the hardest part about it is where you need 10 people plus Transylvanians for Rocky Horror, you need about 28-29 people for shock treatment. So, and you need a theater that's going to accommodate it, and you're going to need a stage that big, and you're going to need I mean, we've done it in small little corners before at conventions. It's a really fun show to do, and the music just kind of grabs the audience because it's a. Where Rocky is great to watch and listen to, and yell back to. Shock treatment is really fun to sing along to.
0: Oh, absolutely! I remember the uh, second RKO con. I want to say a friend of ours came with us. Uh, who didn't know anything about Rocky, didn't know anything about shock treatment. And the first night they were doing shock treatment and him and I were just standing at the bar and he was like, I have no idea what this is, but these songs are great. <laughs> you know? And I was like, yeah, yeah. Don't worry about the plot. Just listen to the songs. They're fucking awesome. You're going to enjoy them. Here's, here's Thank God I'm a Man. You just <laughs> cr- cringe at the end and it'll be awesome.
2: Right. The most the most non-Rocky song that's ever been created by the creator of Rocky R <laughs> The the last line just takes away don't dream of being. You know? <laughs>
0: yes. You're talking about a commentary on the scene. Interesting, Richard. Interesting.
2: Yes, exactly. <laughs> well no, but that was the character of Dad. He came from a different time and he that's how he would have viewed stuff because that was in his eyes very unmanly. So it fit the character perfectly.
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: The epitome of uh okay boomer.
0: richard giving an okay boomer boomer. yeah
2: (laughs) before there was okay um
1: and madman your lovely voice is one of the voices that we hear on the dvd commentary
2: yes i was asked to do it and uh so was bill brennan and uh we we played up an abbott and costello kind of thing i don't know how well that came across but we we tried to have a bit of fun with it uh trailer park media had given me a call and asked me to come down to do it and they only gave me about 2 or 3 days to get ready Oof. wow that's okay. a tight turnaround It was. Luckily, it was in Manhattan, so it was only a few, you know, train stops away. I got there pretty quickly, but uh, trying to get my notes together was pretty interesting, because even though you know about something, even if you've seen the movie a billion times, you don't know what you're going to say for an hour and a half.
0: Oh, sure. I mean, all you got to do is listen to the Rocky commentary to know that, right? Like, even even (laughs) Pat and Richard can't get it together.
2: (laughs) Well, you know, of course when you get to people who who were actually there there's going to be conflicting stories by the way they remember things, but I was trying to give facts and figures and you know as much as i could and bill was just trying to have a really good time with it you know i th- I, th- I think there's a bit of a balance <laughs> somewhere in there I, I it it was it was crazy i mean we got to we were just put in a room with two directors chairs you know with the softbacks, and we were like they were like okay we're starting the movie start talking and we're like what do you want to say and he was it's like just talk <laughs> click and the movie started I mean, that actual reaction you hear when I go, oh, my God, they color time the scene and all the reds are not bleeding through on Janet's carpet. And that whole scene, you can actually see what's going on. That was an actual response. I had no idea they cleaned up the movie that much.
0: (laughs) No, that's great. Yeah, I know. Just recently I was up at RKO and I sat down with Harley uh, and we were watching the uh, Blu-ray transfer, which is still just, I think, 1080p or whatever. But uh, I hadn't sat and watched it in detail and we were just sitting there doing shots going, oh, you can read that thing that's on the jacket. Oh, you can see the little thing there. It, it, It was a total Rocky moment that I haven't had in so long. And I'm glad that Shock Treatment's there to give me that, you know?
2: The only problem I have with the arrow blu ray that came out is that the voice sync is completely off. is it really the minute- right during uh during a Bert schnick scene when he's uh I think it's bitching in the kitchen right after that or something. It goes out and it's like off by like a word or two for the rest of the film. Oof, that's painful. That was, that's the only problem I had with it. And I contacted them and they said that was what they sent over. And we just put it, we just, you know, we went with it.
0: <laughs> well, maybe something for them to fix for the next transfer of it. Fingers the crossed. Okay
2: 4K of shock treatment. <laughs> I, I, I don't see it happening. I just don't.
0: <laughs> we might get that for Rocky's 75th. Uh, <laughs> somewhere. Exactly. In there. Uh, speaking of big anniversaries, fiftieth is coming up in just oh a year, two years now, three years now. Wow.
1: Horrifying.
0: <laughs> is there anything big you'd love to see for that? Like stuff that you hope Fox hauls out of the archives, or just you know, let's slap a new cover on the DVD and call it a day? You know, what do you what are you thinking for the fiftieth?
2: Well, there's a lot of things I would like to see. But unfortunately, as time goes on, elements rot away. The nitrate goes goes bad, because a lot of a lot of the outtakes were not exactly preserved. We were very lucky to get once in a while what they had shot for it, the and the, what is it the extra the shopping cart scene with uh, Frank, you know, when he's getting ready for floor show, and the, these little tidbits. We were lucky to get them at the time. So I don't know how much is actually still surviving in lou adler's vaults you know back then there was not a home market in 1975 except for eight millimeter you know you didn't have extras you had no reason to keep everything that was on the cutting room floor you had no idea that you know oh the two disc special edition the three disc special the special collectors no one had even thought they were we were just happy hey we got the movie.
0: Right. Whereas now they're like, oh, he blew his nose. Keep that. We might need it for the, <laughs> the well,
2: cut. Well, nowadays, when you buy something, you get the movie, you get the extended director's cut, you get all the web content, you get the PDFs in the ROM pile, which have, you know, the original shooting script, the, the the budget script, the, you know, every, you get everything that you could ever hope for as a fan of any film. Older films, it's really hard to find you might find some stills of course we we have a plethora of Mick rock stuff you know there there's an entire archive out there and that are the parts of the movie that we never got to see video for mm mm-hmm, mm mm-hmm.
0: Well, hopefully one day, I mean, I'm sure there's gonna be big events for fiftieth. I'm I'm sure Fox is gonna do something.
2: Well, what I'm hoping for the fiftieth anniversary is that I hope that the studio does get involved because I mean it's such a great property. It don't it's only in their interest to, you know, keep promoting it. Because with every new generation, you know, there are new fans that do wanna learn about the old stuff and they wanna see this stuff, you know that they haven't seen before. And I'm really hoping that they delve into their archives and they find more elements that even I haven't seen. You know, I've been around a long time, but, you know, it's things things degrade, they're misplaced, they're mislabeled, and a lot of the things are just getting lost to the annals of time. So I really hope that they get involved again and really do a really big job
0: on the 50th. Give us the Brad Riff butt fuck scene. We know it's in there somewhere.
2: <laughs> I knew you. I knew you were going to bring that up. I, I knew that. Go ahead. We'll talk about it if you want.
0: I know that you were one of the first ones that distributed a copy of that, right?
2: Well, yeah, that was from the Mongolian Laserdisc. I mean, that was one of the rare. I mean, if you want, I mean, Meg, you asked me about some of the rarest stuff that I ever found. Yeah. I mean that that I don't know how they got it on there. And it must have been from a pirated copy before the movie was released because not too much releasing in Mongolia going on. Um, but that somehow wound up on a Laserdisc, I think. And I, I don't have my, my notes with me. But I mean, it was a really low pressing. It was definitely not official. And it came out. And I just happened to be talking to someone. He wasn't from Mongolia, but he was from that part of the world. And he came to A Street one night. And I kept in touch with him, I can't remember his name right now, and he sent me, he just basically dumped it on the VHS and that's what it was. It was one of the worst copies I had ever seen of anything. I mean, it it was blurry and that could have been from the conversion because uh, it was originally in pal, but at least it's out there. People can still see it.
0: <laughs> yep. We did a we did a great video about it. We we even tracked down and interviewed Brad and, you know, it was a it was a fun time. If you're interested in that, go check out our stuff that we did last year. We had a ton of content around the Brad Rift fuck fuck scene. You don't want to miss it. And you know, these rarities, I hope that they come out. I hope more of them surface. Who knows? Who knows? But you know, fingers crossed.
2: You know, you never know what's gonna come around the corner. I mean, they, they have found things from 100-year-old movies and they've put them out. Um, and hopefully we don't have to wait that long for more Rocky Horror elements.
1: I've got a couple more questions for you, Madman, about just your, your time on cast. Do you have a favorite just memory of your time on New York City?
2: Well, the first night I went when I was 13 years old has got to be the greatest memory in the world. Uh, The first time I saw Riff on screen
1: and uh,
2: I, I just in my mind, I made a connection because I just thought it was the coolest character I ever saw. One of my other favorite is when i was working with the jack cena company who were the ones who put on rocky horror broadway 2000 and i was doing the promotions for it with them and they gave me 400 tickets to give away at the show you know <laughs> and i and and that was for the, that was for the night that uh, richard o'brien was there and then we all went down to times square to virgin records and you know they gave away the cds or people bought the cds whatever and the entire cast was signing And we also, part of my uh, deal with them is that we had the entire cast come down to the show, except Joan Jett. She didn't show up. And Dick Cabot and I hosted the show together.
0: Oh, wow. That's That's fucking awesome.
2: That was a really special memory because I went out for pizza with him right before. And I'm a gigantic Groucho Marx fan. And he was best friends with Groucho. So he told me a lot of stories at the pizza place. I don't know if it's still there. Right next to the theater you're in now.
0: Oh, yeah. They switched it to a... uh... What is it? It's a Chicago style pizza place now, so it's not. Well,
2: it was like a whole wheat pizza place back then.
0: Yeah. Oh, well, at least it's staying weird.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, but uh, that that was definitely a special memory of them all coming down, and then maybe the time that uh, we went down, and I was hosting with Elvira at the Sunshine Cinema on what on Houston Street because we were doing cross-promotion for Richard being in Elvira's Haunted Hills.
0: Oh, very cool. I forgot he was in that. Yes, most people did. <laughs> I've got one here. I had mentioned it when we were talking um, about Bill Brennan a few weeks ago. The uh, drunk man in a baby crib story.
2: <laughs> oh, God. This is uh, going to plague me for the rest of my life. No, I'm kidding. It was, it was actually it, it. was more innocent than people realize, because no harm was done to him. What happened was was that I had a party. It might have been an after-con party. It was on the last night, and everybody came up to my room, a hotel room. And this was in Vegas at the 96 convention. And um, this one guy came in, sat with his back to the wall on a chair underneath the window. And was drinking this red stuff. And everybody's having a good time. And this guy's just quiet. He's not bothering anything. He's dressed as a criminologist. A little while later, his head starts nodding down and back up and down. And then he starts to spew red stuff all over his white
0: shirt. Oh, no. Right.
2: Right. To the point, I mean, it looked like grenadine. I have no idea what it was, but it was definitely alcoholic. Anyway, some guys from the San Francisco cast, I wish I remembered their names. They were cool as hell. Uh, they had found a baby carriage, or a baby uh, crib, rather, uh, outside one of the rooms. It was one of the ones on wheels that the hotel would bring up if you requested. And they brought it in, and they were jumping in and out of it, in and out of it. So I got the bright idea, hey, Let's get this guy out of the room. And we, uh, you know, try to uh, get him in, which he's kind of passed out at the moment. And we get Bill Brennan, who, of course, has a camera. Um, <laughs> so you got to imagine this. Me and this, uh, one of the guys from California are rolling this down the hallway with 30 people in costume behind us. And we get to the elevator. We push it and put him in just as the doors are closing bill takes a shot the guy looks up and gives him the finger (laughs) the rest of the story goes something like this he gets down to the lobby he is immediately pulled out by the security guards and ejected from the from the hotel which was the four queens hotel he's put into the drunk tank by the police but the story has a very happy ending it turns out and i don't i am not going to use the man's name of course because i don't even remember it to tell you the truth but um he had some problems and went off his medicine and from what i understand he got all the help he needed and he actually went on to clean up his entire life
0: oh, oh that amazing. is a good ending
2: and that's a, you know it, it was it was i mean it was a prank that actually helps somebody. And that, that, that is
0: really good. No. Yeah. That's great. I mean, I, I suppose, uh, waking up in a baby carriage being thrown out by hotel security, will will do that to you. Right. Well, you know, it makes a good story anyway, so, <laughs> yeah. you know.
2: but, uh, no, it did happen. And, uh, and it, it, it did kind of go down in the annals of Rocky as this gigantic story, which was just a spur of the moment thing, you know,
0: Oh, that's fantastic. No, I love it. I mean, and this is why I love talking to, you know, everybody who's been around the community for so long is that we get these stories firsthand. It's not my third hand, you know, attempt at retelling it. So I I just love it. Thank you so much for... uh, No, of
2: course, of
0: course.
1: Can you tell us a little bit about when you took over as director of the cast?
2: Well, when I took over as director, we were at the Eastside Cinema which was 55th Street and 3rd. There were two theaters that we never should have been in, 55th Street and 3rd Avenue, because we were playing to 500 people a night at the A Street Playhouse, both Friday and Saturday. And then we quickly down went down to about 30 people a night at uh, at the Side Cinema. The staff wasn't bad. They actually enjoyed us. It was just the wrong area because there was no nightlife in that area. But anyway, Sal got into an argument with the management and basically said, I am leaving. I'm I'm not going to, I'm not going to be treated like this. And I don't remember what actually happened. You'd have to ask him, but he, he got rather uh, irritated at something that happened. He said, that's it, I'm done. And he got on stage and he announced that I was taking over. He, his actual words were, you know, and in my absence, I'm going to leave, you know, the, the scarecrow will be in charge or something like that, you know? And, um, you know, he made a little bit of fun out of it, and then he didn't come down to the show for a long time. Of course, that had nothing to do with the fan club or anything. Sal was, of course, the biggest promoter for years. But it was it was dropped in my lap. Now, if I was to say that I ran the cast... That would not be true because there was a bunch of us back then. There was me, there was Ron, there was Phil. There was a lot of people who pulled together. It wasn't just, you know, this This is what we're doing and that's it. There, there was none of that. We were trying to get the cast going again in a theater we shouldn't be in. And after we left there, we went to Movie Land 8th Street, which was only about three blocks down from the 8th Street Playhouse. And you would have thought that it would have been an automatic success again. It wasn't. We had a a hard time getting it going. The management there was pure evil. And we had this one security guard named Buddy. He was a cop by day, and he was moonlighting as a security guard. And he was uh, probably one of the most heinous people I've met we would put away our stuff, our microphone and stuff one, on Friday night. We'd come back and magically it was broken on Saturday night. Now, there's no evidence that he did it himself. We all know exactly what was happening. And it wasn't until we moved back to 12th Street that we started to, and that was very slow at first, but by the end of it, uh, the last night, people were so upset that we were leaving that they were ripping the back chairs out of the back row.
1: Audience members. Oh, that's crazy. Oh, sure, oh, sure, wow.
2: sure. Wow. The the um in theater number three, I think. What it, the one next to to the big one on the on the main floor, uh, all the way to the left by the stairs. They uh, yeah that that whole back row when you first walk in on the left, that whole back row was missing about three or four seats. Then we then we moved to Twenty Third Street, where that once again was a very slow start. But of course, Aaron, you came in in the middle of that and you, Meg, you know, and uh, I mean, we had a pretty rocking show, you know, a couple of years into it.
0: Absolutely. I mean, by the time I got there, it was a well-oiled machine and, you know, we had all the props, we had all the lights, we had all the things and it was, it was definitely, definitely a sight.
2: Well, that was the thing is that over the years, we tried to add more and more and more to the show because it was getting a little stagnant, it was getting low. I mean the dance party I started because it gave us something to do before the show for the audience to do instead of sitting there but like i like I've said, you know, I was not the only person running the show the, the over time, there were a lot of trade offs because nobody as you guys know running the show now it is not a one-person job. There's no way to please everybody. There's no democratic way to get everything done and please everybody. So you have to get different point of views on it, and you switch it off depending on what's going on in, in your life, in the world. And there were, there were multiple people who were putting in ideas, and we had a lot of great people over the years. Oh, yeah. And then this kid Aaron came down and screwed up the entire thing. Uh,
1: what did he do? You know?
0: Oh no! Oh
2: God! And what <laughs> didn't he do? God, you know Meg, we, we may have to have the second podcast just for that story.
1: I'm here for it. Oh God, no! <laughs>
2: all your dirty little secrets.
0: Oh man, that is you, you. just want to take the door off the closet and let all the skeletons out. <laughs> like...
2: Well, I'm a riff raff, of course I do. <laughs>
0: uh,
2: you set me up for that one. I did.
0: I did. I didn't even plan that one. That one was good. That was good. <laughs>
2: But now, the lineage of the show is very interesting. There are a lot of people who left their mark on the show because, let's just, I'm just going to make this up. But if a Columbia started doing something when they were doing it, say 1986, the Columbia that was going to be the next one saw them doing it. So they added it to their routine. And the person who came out after them. So what that part of that 1980 whatever routine and what the next person was doing. So then they took both those things and added it to what they were doing when they were Columbia and so on and so forth. So a lot of things gradually kept getting passed from performer to performer, just like the lifts. You know, originally they weren't doing lifts. They're not in the movie but it's become a staple.
0: Oh, absolutely. Oh, that's actually a fun one. Uh, You know the snaps during uh, Sweet Tea that uh, Riff, Magenta, and Columbia do? No. Oh. Huh. Damn. Huh, I guess that's a new one okay. in the last...
2: Well, I years. wasn't doing it.
0: Yeah, I was, I was going to say. I was like, if anybody would have known about it, it would have been you because you would have had to have done it, so.
2: Yeah, no, 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 no. I. I mean, I think I may have seen another cast doing it, but no, I wasn't i I wasn't part of that now
0: it's standard now, and I don't know where it came from, so <laughs> uh one day I'll track that one down
2: yeah that may that may have come from another cast. you know another thing about performers leaving their marks is that we had a lot of guest performers from different shows over the years. I was very close with the Pennsylvania Show in Allentown, in fact, for a while, I was actually running New York and Allentown um well jeff, jeff who was the manager out there basically turned to me and said mike either you run it or there's no more show out there so there were there were some problems going on and i i took it over mostly in name only but i you know for a couple months i showed up and i uh, i played Riff for them and i had a lot of very close friends in the cast and anyway the problems went away in like a couple months and and i didn't have to keep on running it i didn't want to run another show it was hard enough to run one show you know uh But we also had a lot of people from New Jersey perform with us and a lot of people from Maryland perform with us. And of course we had people fly in from all over to perform in New York. If they were on a vacation or holiday or whatever, they say, Hey, I'm coming in. Can I perform? And we'd say, yes, of course you can. So as I was saying about people leaving their mark, we also picked up a lot of things from our guest performers who came from completely different
0: States. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, I even see it today, where uh, John or I or just, you know somebody else will be hosting, and they'll tell a joke that I know as a Madman joke, right? A joke that you used to do as part of your hosting routine, and I'll tell them, "Oh yeah, no, you delivered that well, like as good as Madman." They'll be like, "Who? I, I, I? No, this is just what hosting is. I don't, I don't know what these jokes are, or where they come from. <laughs> they still live on."
2: Well, I had done it at a couple of conventions and people had heard heard it at the 30th anniversary. I did it out in Vegas. And uh, um, yeah, a lot of people, a lot of people picked up, you know, when I first started hosting and I was a host for many years. I started with South bit because that's all I knew. And then over the years it morphed and I I took things from from different. Places that had nothing to do with Rocky. And I was like, well, I could fit that in over here or, or whatever. And it just morphed into my own act. That's the way it is, <laughs> you know, that's, you, know you, you emulate what you know until you come up with your own.
0: Exactly, exactly. I mean, and that's, that's Rocky as a whole, right? Everything down to shadow casting callbacks, you know, the blocking we use, it's all this amalgamation of the last nearly 50 years now of people learning what works and what's funny and what's good and what looks right and smashing it all together into, you know, what we now know as Rocky Horror, right?
2: Well, a lot of it came from the A Street Playhouse and the original people who put their time and energy into blocking the show because, of course, that was our New York starting ground. So what they had come up with is what follows through till today. You know, I mean, it's been augmented and changed and, uh, you know, repositioned for whatever theater we're in. Or cinema, rather. It all has its bases going all the way back to the Waverly. Earlier, I mentioned that I was doing Dr. Scott at the very beginning of my career in Rocky Horror. Before me, dinner scene was never done. There was no dinner scene. I turned to Sal one day and I said, Do you mind if I do it as a solo, if I just have the lights come up on me for Eddie's Teddy? And he said, go ahead, I don't I don't care. That's fine. Go ahead. So I would sit up there, I would wait, and then and then I would do Eddie's Teddy as a solo. Within the next couple of weeks, people started surrounding me just for the song. And then it grew and grew and grew. So I'm the person that everybody in the world has to blame for making dinner scene actually have to be done every show.
0: <laughs> so You're the guy.
2: (laughs) I'm the guy. At 13, when you're doing Dr. Scott, and you only have two little bits in the whole movie, and, the, and one main song, you
0: want to do that song. <laughs> Give me the song, damn it. No, it's Exactly. Don't take the song away from me, please. <laughs> it's my big break, you know. So. Oh, man. And actually, that brings up one thing. I ask all of our old school guests this one. Do you remember the first time, uh, maybe just in New York, that, that you saw the entire movie get shadow cast? Was there one week where Sal finally went, okay, we're making a list. I need everybody for every scene? Or did that just not happen until, you know, later on? The first
2: time. The first time I saw it, they were doing most of the film. The first time I, and I'll tell you that the second time I saw it, there was no cast at all. And I think that was maybe the next week. There was some guy who was high as hell with a Pink Panther doll sitting on the stage, throwing it up and down for an hour and a half. That was the entire, the entire, in front of the movie. (laughs) <laughs> that was the entire show. And I was like, this is really cool. I need to get into this, you know. Where do I find that Pink Panther doll? <laughs> like <laughs> right, right, yeah. I'm gonna emulate him doing that show. Yes, that's the next step in Rocky Horror. But no, it was just I don't know what happened because I wasn't actually in cast yet. I think I think I started performing that summer, if I remember correctly. I mean, we're talking a long time ago here. But, um, you know, the second time I saw it, there was no cast. And I have no idea why. And uh, I think I know who was the guy with the Pink Panther doll was. He was a friend of the cast, but he was not a cast member.
1: Uh Madman, I think that kind of wraps us up. This has been amazing. Thank you so much for talking to us and telling us all these stories. These are fucking fantastic to listen to, dude.
2: Oh, it's been completely my pleasure. I love talking about the history of Rocky. And, you know, it's one of the most special things that ever happened in my life. And a lot of people I know, too, um, it brought an entire community together. And there's a lot of people to thank for over the years who have kept it going, including you guys, because you are the ones leading the new generation. And I hope that everything keeps going upwards from here.
0: Oh, thank you so much, man. No, it's so much fucking fun. We're definitely going to have to have you on again to tell us some more wonderful stories. So much fun.
2: I'll tell you the ones that I've been told that if I tell, I will be killed.
0: (laughs) Excellent.
1: Yes. (laughs)
2: I'll give you the real dirt, the real juicy stuff.
1: (laughs) Rocky Talkie After Dark.
2: Ooh, that's good. I like that. Yes. (laughs) So stay tuned to Rocky Talkie. And
0: that's our show.
1: As always, we want to thank our writer Jacob and our editor Aaron from Tennessee. Buddy, you're a champ. You're the fucking MVP. We appreciate every single thing you do.
0: And as a quick nightcap here, we want to also extend a brief congratulations to Jen of uh, the New York City Rocky Horror cast. Congratulations on the new bundle of joy you brought into this world. Mazel!
1: Her name is Baby Violet Celia, and she's fucking adorable there's pictures of her that are posted to social media which is surprising because jen doesn't really do that but uh she she made a person that's awesome congratulations jen
0: i expect a tiny little brad costume or janet i i i don't know uh
1: it's jen this is jen's baby it's gonna be tiny little frank costume
0: that's true i yeah i did uh i did draw a little brad onesie at the baby shower for her Aww. yeah, I, I i made it a pink and purple bow tie and and cummerbund because you know she she was keeping it secret from everybody
1: well that's cute because it's it's a brad costume in janet colors
0: right well if anyone out there has a baby announcement or maybe just a question that they'd like us to answer on air for our ask a question segment or some community news that you'd want us to talk about uh, we would love to include it in our show. Just go to our website, that's rockytalkypodcast.com, and fill out our contact form to tell us all about it.
1: If you're enjoying Rocky Talky, please help us out by rating, reviewing, and subscribing to the show. It makes our podcast more accessible to new listeners, which really helps us grow the show.
0: And if you want even more Rocky Talky content, check us out on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok, all at Rocky Podcast. Or just show up at RKO Con and you'll see all of us there. We're doing a panel and you're gonna wanna check it out, find out all about this never before seen musical.
1: Bum, bum, bum! Also, we can't wait to party with you next week! Bye!
0: Bye! Get at it, 84.
1: hell yeah we have all become like professional video editors in lockdown <laughs> so these are going to be like fucking highly produced martin scorsese pre shows is he a, a filmmaker
0: yeah yes yeah that's correct awesome mm-hmm. okay